Thank you, Becca. Um, thank you so much, Hope and Godfrey, Godfrey for being here tonight. Uh, so excited. So definitely, as Becca was just saying, if you can at all, whether you're planning on it or not, definitely stay or uh, hang around afterwards, grab pizza, continue to hear more about what's going on in Rwanda, what, what the ministry is doing um, so much. I know they could share probably for like three hours. So look forward to that. Um, also, welcome back to Pastor Josh. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. Good to have you back, brother. Um, So we're diving in in terms of the preaching of the word, the scriptures tonight. We're picking up essentially where we left off last week in Romans. Um, Only I'm going to overlap the reading just by two verses. So the last two verses that we ended with last time, I'm going to overlap those just for some kind of continuity and some context as we flow into our passage proper tonight, which is going to be Romans 10. 14, all the way through to the end of the chapter, a big chunk. Uh, It's uh, verse 21 there. So let us go ahead and do the thing uh, where we stand for the reading of God's word as we are able. So God's word in the scriptures, picking up verse 12 of chapter 10, says this. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is God's word. Remain standing and let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, thank you for uh, this chance to be together in your word. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, do your work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, you may be seated. Okay. So, church, just side note, before I dive in, isn't it, it's, I felt like it was very cool that we have uh, Hope and Godfrey here, and then we have this text that is very, you know, as we'll, we'll see as we go along, very missional, right, about the gospel being preached and going forward. So I think that was a cool providential uh, syncing up. But um, as, uh, as we look at this passage, there's a lot going on, a lot to process, a lot of goodness to reflect on. Uh, and as I was doing that this week, I began at one point to think about one of our, uh, our constitutional norms in this country, a, a political tradition uh, that we have, 
And that is uh, this thing that we call the State of the Union Address. And that's, you know, where I got the inspiration for the title tonight. And, you know, of course, if you've been around uh, a little bit, you have some experience, you know that the whole mission of these speeches, the basic point of them is essentially in line with the Constitution to give the President of the United States an opportunity to stand before the Houses of Congress, essentially the whole nation, and to just give one kind of very clear, uh, overarching kind of summary statement about where we stand as a nation on all kinds of fronts. Where are we? And in a sense, to the best that they can, they can tell and that they can influence, where are we heading? Where are we going? That's kind of the point of, of this statement. It's a reflection backward, you know, where we've been, and also a pro- projection forward into the future, as much as, you know, a human can do that. See, I thought about it this week. It's kind of like the idea of the setting of the sails, right? A big ship, you set the sails, you have you know, you know where you are, and then you set the sails to where you're, you're going, ideally, where you want to head. Uh, in a similar way, as I was processing this passage this week, it seems to me that likewise here, there's kind of this State of the Union address for Paul in this letter at this point, in these verses, the eight verses that we're looking at here tonight. Only in Paul's case... Uh, instead of, you know, this, you know, a State of the Union address like a, one of our presidents might give, focused on just one particular nation, Paul here is giving this kind of State of the Union of the gospel itself. What is, where is the gospel? What's been going on with, this, with the gospel as it, as it is in the world and it, as it is going forward? What, what has been the case and what do we expect going forward as we think about uh, the truth of God's word being proclaimed. And we see a reflection here, especially this whole section, as you, as you know, if you've been with us, it's about uh, this relationship and especially the dynamics between Jews and Gentiles alike. What, what do we expect going forward? And really, I think what, what Paul is saying here and what he is pointing out and has been pointing out along the way at many points as we've gone is that we are seeing, and Paul is kind of addressing, what is a, uh, a Jewish rejection, by and large, of the gospel. He's, he's experiencing the state of the union here is that the Jews, uh, are, by and large, are rejecting Jesus, who came as the Messiah, to, came as the one to, to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament. Jews are rejecting, but in kind of a surprising way, at least for, for some, I might say for many, there's this Gentile receiving, Gentile acceptance of the gospel. Because they're accepting it, there's salvation coming. Salvation is growing, which is kind of why I wanted to include verse 13 in the reading, going back to Paul pulling from the Old Testament, pulling from Joel, minor prophet in the Old Testament, where Joel writes that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, you know, that everyone there, as Paul is thinking about it, and as we see it in this context, it's this both and. It's Jews and Gentiles. Everyone who calls out to the Lord will be saved. <clears throat> and 
Like I said a moment ago, there's, there's something about the, this that is kind of surprising to the, a lot of the, the Jews and even sometimes the Gentiles, that like this gospel is exploding among non-Jewish folks. And <clears throat> I, in, just one application point before we kind of dig in a little bit more to two bigger reflections is, does the spreading and the expanding and the going forth of the gospel has that ever surprised you as you've thought about it? Just how, how God is working, how he is moving as an initiator in the world, what he's doing. I, uh, <clears throat> one of the verses that came to mind thinking about this this week was, uh, in a way, it's Paul reflecting on uh, the, the gospel coming to us and how that can sometimes even be surprising. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, hey, Timothy, brother, this, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And it's this. It said, Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And he's saying, this is, this is a trustworthy saying. Jesus came to save sinners and, and I'm the foremost. You can almost kind of sense this surprise, you know, like the gospel has come to me and has saved me, even me. And I think there's a little bit of that going on for Paul. That he's, he's kind of trying to explain this, this surprise of like, hey, the people that we thought were going to really wrap their arms around the gospel, not so much. But, the, but these other people, man, there's a lot of them who really are. They're hungry for this gospel. And it's, it's, it's taking root. It's growing. It's flourishing among them. Have you ever had, had that in your own heart life? Been surprised at your own, maybe? own salvation, own faith, or someone else. The gospel is surprising, and it is good news. Uh, and with that kind of his background, the state of the union, Jewish rejection, by and large, uh, Gentile uh, accepting and receiving. Two uh, kind of bigger reflections that I want to think about for the next few moments um, with looking at what the, what the verses are telling us here. And really, it's just two observations about who God is that we see from this passage that I want to highlight. So I'll just go straight in because I want to leave plenty of room for, you know, eating pizza and talking with the Rita Ganglis. Uh, try not to take too, too much time here. Um, number one is this. God himself is a missionary God. God himself is the initiator he is the one kind of personally doing it in a lot of ways. We, I think we see this truth in this passage in a couple different places, in a couple different ways. Big one is verse 20. In my mind, we see Paul here uh, pulling from the Old Testament, pulling from Isaiah. He pulls this passage in which it's Isaiah speaking prophetically. It's in the Lord's voice. And the Lord says, I have been found by those who did not seek me, especially the second half. The Lord says through Isaiah, I have shown myself. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. In a sense, it seems here that, that God is kind of being his own missionary, right? He's saying, hey, these people weren't looking for me. They weren't asking for me or asking about me. And yet, I showed up. I'm here and, and now, you know, the gospel is on the move. 
Repentance and faith is happening because I showed up, even though these people weren't, weren't looking for that. It's this bam moment, and I think this is a reference to God's work among the Gentiles that he's doing as we look at the context. We see it in another way, too, though. We also see uh, this kind of reality, God being a missionary God among his own people in these verses as well, among the Jews. We see this in verse uh, 19, especially, and also verse 21, where God is persisting. He's pursuing his people. I think this, this language here that Paul uses, again, pulling from uh, Isaiah, um, let me see, oh, uh, actually, forgive me, it's not Isaiah. This uh, quotation, verse 19, is one from Moses, he says, from Deuteronomy. This whole idea of being jealous. And I think if we fill out this picture of what Paul is referring to here, it's this this idea that he is actually using the good work that is happening among the Gentiles to make his people kind of wake them up, to make them jealous, to make them want to kind of be in, to experience the blessings that suddenly the Gentiles are experiencing in this kind of surprising way. And it's, you know, so in a sense, you know, the Lord is kind of playing the the Gentiles off of the Jews to make his people wake up and say, hey, these covenant promises, this Messiah, he's supposed to be ours. It's this, this work, and it's God doing it to kind of bring his people. He's initiating this work among the Jews to bring his people back to himself. Same idea, God going after his people. We see it in that final verse, verse 21. Or again, pulling from Isaiah here. I'll read it. It says, But of Israel, he says, the Lord says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. God continuing to go after, continuing to pursue his people. I all day long held out my hands. Think of that posture, you know, held out my hands. It's this posture of welcome. It's this posture of invitation. And that's what, what the Lord is. He's being this, this faithful, going after person. He's this faithful missionary guy, right? Faithfully trying to wake up his people to his, his reality. I, I think there's actually a reality in which we see this throughout, not just this passage, but throughout the Bible, we see this, uh, this truth. Uh, we see a pattern of God going after, being the initiator, making the gospel go forward. One place I thought of this week, just, you know, very, maybe obvious example, but a good one is Jonah. Right? You know, Jonah was this prophet, you know, in a sense, he was this missionary to the Ninevites, who were the, the enemies of God, it got, well, enemies of God's people for sure. You know, God said, go to the Ninevites, proclaim repentance and belief to them. Jonah goes the other way, right? God was the initiator. God was the one who was saying, hey, I want you to proclaim the gospel to the Ninevites. Do it. He's the initiator there. Maybe the biggest example, most obvious, is the incarnation itself. Jesus himself coming in, coming down. The Father sending the Son I think of John chapter one, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's like what missionaries do, right? They, they incarnate and they go to where the need is. They go to where the gospel needs to be heard. 
That's what Jesus does. He becomes flesh, enters our world. Of course, he's more than a missionary. He, he is God, right? He is the Savior. And yet we see that, that pattern, that, that action that he's taking even to the point that we read in John just you know, a couple chapters later, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. And whoever believes in him might not perish. God initiating. It's the gospel going forward through Jesus becoming flesh. Step back from that for a second. This is, uh, this is a truth that I think is super encouraging. It's one that we should rejoice in and uh, be glad about. That God, God is the God of, of mission. It's not just like all on us. Right? He is doing a thing. It made me think this week, um, as a family, we've been beginning to listen back through uh, and read through some of the Chronicles of Narnia, and that second book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And, you know, that, that kind of famous, iconic scene where it's the, uh, you know, the children, and they're tr- just trying to figure out what what's going on in Narnia, and they interact with these beavers. And, you know, what, you know, one of the things that Mr. Beaver says is, you know, Aslan is on the move. Right? And they fill out the picture. Who's Aslan? Oh, he's this, you know, he's this lion. He's not tame. You know, he's not safe, but he's good. But it's that truth that Aslan is on the move, right? God is on the move. Aslan is this, this, this yeah, amen, right? He's this uh, picture of, of God in the Chronicles of Narnia. So God is, God is moving. He's doing stuff. He's the, he's the one initiating. It's first reflection. Uh, secondly, though, uh, to keep us moving along and moving towards pizza is that God, uh, not only is he the initiator and the missionary God, but he also, he delights as, as, the, missionary, as the missionary God, as the uh, as the initiator, he delights to use ordinary folks. He delights to use ordinary things to spread his word, to do that work of gospel proclamation. <clears throat> uh, and, you know, I use the word delights. I think that's true. But it's, it's, it's what his, that's his plan. That's what he has ordained. This is, this is how the gospel is going to go forward. Uh, <clears throat> think about... A, Especially, uh, well, let's see. This, well, I think we see this especially in the text in verse 14 and 15, where we see this kind of chain, this causal link, causal, cause and effect, where we talk about the gospel. How is the gospel going to go forward? And so Paul asks the, the series of kind of rhetorical questions. He says, the gospel is going to, you know, all, so back in verse 13, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, how are they going to call on the name of the Lord? Well, they can only call on the name of the Lord if they have, you know, how can they call on him unless they have believed? And how are they going to believe unless they have heard? And how are they going to hear unless, what? Someone preaches. Unless someone brings the message, brings the good news. This ordinary, this ordinary means, right? Speaking, a human being, speaking the truth, speaking the message. I think uh, it, it underscores the reality that God uh, delights to use ordinary means by what we see happening in this, uh, the second half of verse 15 here, this quotation of Isaiah 52, verse 7, because it's, he starts talking about feet. 
It's in this verse. Uh, again, Isaiah says, Paul quoting Isaiah says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach, who make known, who declare the good news. I don't know about you, but normally when I think of things that are beautiful, you know, feet is not like top of the list. And yet, from the perspective of the gospel, from the perspective of ordinary things being a part of what God is doing in the world and thus becoming beautiful in that way, Paul says, yeah, even feet, even feet can be a beautiful, wonderful thing if they're bringing a part of this, this reality that is seeing salvation go forward in the world, the good news, the gospel being proclaimed in all the earth. All the earth. I thought this week of uh, my brother uh, had a foot phobia. If, if you, wanted, uh, you wanted him to stay away from you when we were kids, you know, just show your toes. Right? <laughs> Not so. With the Lord, the Lord says, no, I I want the feet, I want the toes. Even, you know, Isaiah's day, Paul's day, feet were a a much more rough reality, right? Our feet are much more pampered compared to what was going on in Isaiah's day and Paul's day. But God loves to use ordinary means, ordinary bodies, ordinary feet to do his work. It's, it's, uh, you know, Encouraging if if you're an ordinary person with ordinary appendages. Right? So, you know, another way we can think about ordinary people being used, we can use this uh, this idea of Jonah once again, because again, Jordanary was an ordinary guy in the sense that he wasn't super spiritual. He wasn't this guy who was super passionate about the gospel, and yet God was delighting to use Jonah to see the gospel go forward, even as a reluctant missionary, a reluctant prophet. God delights to use him and ordains to use Jonah so that the gospel might go forward, be proclaimed among the Ninevites. Think of uh, how Jesus talks about mission, how he talks about in uh, John chapter 4, how the fields are white for harvest as he's talking to his disciples. He wants them as ordinary guys, ordinary disciples, to be a part of of the harvest, a part of the missionary work. Same thing, a similar idea, Luke chapter 10. This is where Jesus is sending out the 72. We can assume that these are 72 fairly ordinary folks. And yet he sends them out to all the places where he's about to go himself and to to, do miracles and to heal and to proclaim the gospel. Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful to his disciples, but the laborers are few. So what does he say? He says, So therefore, pray. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. What does he tell them to do? He tells them to pray. Prayer. It's an ordinary, you know, for Christians, prayer, prayer is pretty ordinary. And yet he's saying, God, Jesus is saying, this is part of how the gospel is going to go forward. You guys pray that the Lord would send people, send feet, send more feet, right? Carry in the good news. It's how it happens. 
trying to skip through some of my notes here. Uh, I guess the other thing I want to hit here before we begin to draw to a close is, is just the reality that even though God himself is the missionary God, he's the initiator, he delights to use ordinary means, ordinary folks. We're also told, verse 16 and 17, it's not always successful. It doesn't always, it always, doesn't always light up. Hearts aren't, aren't always you know, caught aflame as, as we do this work. Verse 16, let me find it again. It says, but the, uh, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? In other words, yeah, it's not always gonna be acceptance and on fire. Yes, thank you so much for this, this message. There's gonna be those who do not obey, who do not repent and believe, who do not put their faith in Christ. But that, I think, too, becomes an opportunity, going back to the first point, to trust in the God who is himself the God of mission. He is the missionary God. We get to just be faithful to do the work, to tell the thing, and leave the rest to him. Makes me wonder, just think of application uh, for us as we sit in this room this evening about God wanting to use ordinary things, ordinary people. How has God gifted you? Even if it does, doesn't seem to you super, you know, stupendous or miraculous or amazing, just an ordinary gifting that the Lord has given you that he might want to use or maybe he is using to spread the gospel. Maybe he is, you know, that should be an encouragement to you that maybe, you know, something that you think, uh, I just do this thing, I, I just pray, you know. All I do is pray. Uh, I don't really do anything amazing. Like, that, hallelujah, right? Praise the Lord. That could be an ordinary means that God is using. And, uh, you know, we think about us being a part of this mission. It's, it's a both and, right? It is, it is both local and it is global. It is, it is us talking to our neighbor, very ordinary. It's also Rwanda, right? And everything that's going on there. And uh, supporting that, praying that, you know. Uh, being a part of this chain, right, of, you know, how can they, how can they, uh, let me find my chain again, right? How can they call unless they believed? How can they believe unless they have heard, right? That all, you know, unless they are sent. There's got to be people who send all of this. There's, there's parts for us to play in God's mission. And it's fun, right? We just get to enjoy and see what God does. It's work, it's hard, it can be heart-wrenching. But we trust the God who is the missionary God in it. So really, that's, that's what I have. Those are my, my two reflections. And I, I think just uh, two final thoughts to land the plane on. One is a verse that I was reading just in my own personal, uh, kind of reading the Bible this week. And if you're looking for something more to kind of think about, and as you're praying, thinking about the gospel going forward, I love this passage. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica. He says this. He says, finally, brothers, pray for us. Again, ordinary stuff. Paul asking, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead 
Word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, that we may be delivered from evil men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. Pray that the, Lord, the word would speed ahead and be honored. That's a good prayer. I, I want to pray that the, Lord would, the word would speed ahead and be honored, just starting in my own heart. Right? May that start with me. And then may it, may it start in my neighborhood. May it start Chico, Paradise. All the nations. Speed ahead, be honored. God is faithful. Good. Wrap us fully back around to the beginning, the state of the union here. Uh, you know, oftentimes there's the kind of climactic moments in these speeches, these addresses, in which, you know, the president will say, oh, you know, the state of our nation is strong. <laughs> Most of the time they say that. There was one guy who said the state of the nation was, like, really bad. I forget who it was. I need to look it up again. But in a similar way, to close this, you know, the state of the gospel in Paul's day and in ours is strong. Whether it's being accepted or rejected, whether it's going forward, because we have a God who is strong, who is mighty. He is mighty to save. The gospel is going forward. It is doing what it's supposed to do. And we can rest in that. We can rejoice in that. We can be a part of it. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, God, thank you so much for this this evening. Lord, you are a good God. Thank you that you are initiating, that your word is going forward. Lord, that you are indeed gracious, kind, and merciful. Continue your work in us, among us, and in the world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Ryan. Let's stand up.